0: So we are joined here today by a special guest. This has been an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, Mr. Brian Romley is joining us today. What's up, Brian?
1: Hey, uh, Dave. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming and so honored to be here, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the funny thing with Brian is that um, he is, I guess, for my sake, a you know, he he gives justice to this idea that you can meet people on Twitter and you can meet people on the internet and you can eventually become friends with them. Um, I started following you back in like 2016 on Twitter. I thought like you were really interesting and you kept tweeting about all this voice stuff. And, you know, lo and behold, I got, you know, I, I came to this kind of conclusion that you were drawing, which is that the internet was eventually going to kind of migrate toward a more conversational interface. And for me, I'm like, okay, well that's really interesting because if that's the case, couldn't you then have this conversational partner more or less uh, residing in your hearing aid? And, you know, being somebody that comes from this background, I'm like, well, this is maybe going to be a major use case for all of these new Bluetooth connected hearing aids. So I go to the uh, Project Voice, or I guess back at the day it was Alexa conference at the Chattanooga library. And um, a really funny story. I'm standing at the hotel lobby and I'm getting ready to go over to the conference and I see Brian and I'm like oh my god I think that's Brian so I walk up to him I'm like Brian what's going on man are you Brian Romilly and and (laughs) you're like yeah and I was like awesome and uh so you know we just started chatting and and you're like hey do you need a ride so Brian serves as my uber driver drives me over (laughs) that that conference was really funny though because you know Chattanooga Public Library, it just brings back memories, considering that it was really the first meeting of a lot of the people that are in the voice space. A lot of them were inspired by Brian um, at, you know, this humble public library in the middle of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I just thought that was so fun and, and such a great way to kind of kick off our relationship.
1: Yeah. It started me on a career. Um, I I got to pick up in a, in about an hour. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. I was your Uber driver. That was good times. It was
1: freezing. It was a freezing it was day freezing.
0: Well, in Chattanooga. And the funny thing is, all right, so I meet Brian this, first time in Chattanooga. Then the next year at the same conference, the Alexa conference, I'm boarding the plane. Who am I standing next to? Brian. We look at where we're sitting and we're sitting next to each other. So I shared a plane ride with Brian. So it was like meant to be. And and, and the cool thing with that though, is that like I met you on Twitter. You were one of the first people to really support my blog, all of my work. And so to be able to kind of like foster this relationship with you and really get a good understanding of your whole like ideas has been really rewarding. And to just kind of set the stage for today, a lot of you that are listening to this know who Brian is. Brian is um, you know, the guy who coined the term voice first. He is the one that's really kind of spearheaded this whole movement around what that whole voice first idea means and he's been on a number of podcasts he was just on nick myers uh the artificial podcast go check that out it was awesome he's been on you know bradley Metrock, brett kinsella he's with emily bender like he's done a whole lot of these different voice conversations and so there's been a lot of different insight that he shared so what i wanted to do is have a little bit of a different conversation today talk about a couple different ideas that i don't think i've heard him talk about that much um, so to kick things off, I thought that a great way to kind of start here, Brian, would be around voice commerce. I know that voice commerce is something that you believe will be sort of a critical component to the whole idea of using voice, voice assistance as this evolution of our interfacing with technology. And given your background in payments, it seems like this is probably one of the biggest areas of your expertise and just to help frame this whole conversation, you have to look at this in light of the fact that the four big major voice assistant platforms out there, Amazon, Apple, Samsung, Google, they all have a payment backbone to them. You have Apple Pay, you have Amazon Pay, you have Samsung Pay, you have Google Pay. So clearly there is a connection here. And so let's just start there. Like, how do you envision this idea of voice commerce working as we start to kind of like move into the future especially in light of this whole amazon partnership with exxon mobile it's like the first one that we're really seeing where you can now pay at the pump using alexa tied to amazon pay it just seems like the precursor of a whole lot more of these to come so let's just kick things off right there well david that was wonderful
1: and uh great <laughs> insights and what the, what a world we live in where serendipity brings us together yeah. at, at this right times uh, yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, for those that don't follow me, I give a quick uh, overview. I, I've been involved in payments since the mid 1980s. Uh, I got involved because I built a point of sale system. Uh, I'm told one of the very first computer-based point of sale systems that attract inventory through barcodes and connected with um, a payment network. I simulated a Zon Junior terminal inside of software, which connected over a phone line and allowed for credit cards to be processed through the system. Long before there was anything called security. I mean, literally, it was just open technology. So I've always had a sort of backdrop on payments. Uh, I I love payments because philosophically, they're very interesting. We're spending an inordinately large amount of our time and thinking power about trying to move decimal places uh, to the right. And that is all based around the concept of money. And money uh, is involved in currency. Currency is about flow, and payments is about the control of that flow. So I see it also as as an engineer, as an electronics engineer, I look at the philosophy of the flow of money. So I I, I also love history, and I look at the, the rise of the internet. The internet was an incredible thing. The very first medium of exchange was information for information's sake. So I would trade you information and knowledge and somebody else would give information knowledge on the other side. That was the currency of the transaction, right? And these were the very early proto blogs, these were uh forums and BBSs. We traded information and I was part of that. I love that culture, still love that culture and it still exists to a degree, but it's been bifurcated many many ways. The next monetization system was attention and the 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 modern internet that we know today is an attention economy yes it's not an information economy so we're trading our attention for quote-unquote free use of something that somebody is paying for via advertising pay-per-view pay-per-click pay for attention and that built the internet So, everything we know in the technology startup world, pretty much everything was built on that backbone, and it was primarily owned by Google initially, uh, when I mean the bigger part of it. Obviously, there were, you know, uh, Infoseek and, uh, you know, all these other uh, uh, search engines, but uh, Google and Yahoo, obviously, uh, Google found a way to actually monetize attention in, in a more efficient way. And then Facebook uh, took the monetization of attention to its nth degree, <laughs> and then uh, Byte Dance and TikTok has, in some views, weaponized it mm-hmm. uh, through AI to a degree of beyond addiction, right? Because all of this is about addiction, uh, and 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 I think TikTok. Be you know you leave your political agendas at the door and just look at it from a from an addiction level, and and look at it through that lens and you can see what I'm saying. Uh, you know I know a lot of people will just find the political horse to jump on and ride that, but unfortunately the world is not just those two things uh, or those two viewpoints of view. It's about a system that was designed to literally overly addict you into a, a dark hall. the the very first proto version of this was the like right the like would addict you it, it was an adrenaline release somebody liked what i did
0: yeah and, wow. serotonin and, rush
1: exactly and and uh the neuropeptide cascade that that caused was obviously going to be optimized and by dance is the latest incarnation of that we'll see more versions of that as we uh as we see ar and vr move move about And as we see iterations of, unfortunately, porn uh, down that road. Um, And all of this is about occupying your attention and your time. So, in the voice first world, attention and time is not the monetary unit. It's work to be done. It's jobs to be completed. And this is a completely different understanding of how we got here. So if, you're, if you just arrived in this space, you know, 94 is kind of when the internet began to take off, and mid-2000s is when a lot of people started to kind of understand it, and uh, 2010 is when it really got uh, to the peak with uh, the understanding of smartphones with the iPhone primarily and then Android devices. So you can see the gestation periods are rather long, 94, 2000 was really the the very proto era nobody really knew how do we monetize this Uh, hold on i'm going to give my content away for free yeah why because you get people's attention so Mm uh you know nobody really understood in 97 that attention could be monetized yeah all right so with voice first it's the same explaining i did in 94 i'm doing again in 2020 and a lot of folks who really are quite astute, go down the same path and saying, well, you know, we, the the world that you want to create, and I'll explain this world, and it's not the world I want to create. It's the world that will come about one way or the other. I'm just showing you how gravity works. This is all about gravity. It's natural forces. And all I'm doing in reading the future is reading natural forces. And if that sounds mystical, i I'm sorry, gravity is mystical to some people. But <laughs> gravity has its way with everybody, how rich or how poor gravity will have its way with you and so will this. And um, so what happens is you start saying, well, Brian, if in fact I wind up using a voice assistant to do the things that you're going to say they can do, then I'm not going to be tied down and monetized in the same way I was with Facebook dance and all these other, you know, TikTok and all these other things. Why why would they want to do that? I go, precisely. Precisely. That's why you're a renegade if you start thinking like this. You are going to have arrows in your back by everybody because those who are addicted to it are saying, please don't take my cat photos away from me. Those that are making money off of it saying, hey, don't mess up a good thing, buddy. I got a guy in the alleyway that's going to take care of you. (laughs) you know and and that's the world you live in when you're ahead of it right because you're saying well yeah it's all going to change no i I can't see the connection it's just going to get worse and worse yeah that's right it's going to get worse and worse and like everything in history it reaches a zenith point a point where there is no return and there is no there is no uh, way forward there's a a precipice that you must cross to get to the other side, and we see this all the time with technology. We 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 definitely saw when when print went to radio, when radio went to TV, and 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 humans and and um, you know, there's many people have seen this. Uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan is definitely one of my yes. uh, big influences. Meeting is it, a message. Yeah, but but he, he he said a lot of profound things, and he said that we don't understand our current technologies unless we look in the rearview mirror and so we're always staring in the rearview mirror using the prior mediums to interpret the new mediums so we're never quite living in, living in the moment we're always living sort of in the past using those past definitions to understand the new medium so this is a new medium and it's going to have the same thing so the first things we're going to do is we're going to do We're gonna take the things from the old medium of the internet and we're gonna try to replicate them inside this new medium that we're calling voice first. Or more accurately, voice primary interface aided by AI and situational video and imagery. So those that are hearing voice only can now rest assured. I'm not saying voice only, I'm saying voice first as the primary mechanism that right. you use to interact. If you're so inclined, you can use your thumbs and talk to it one character at a time through a, through a keyboard, or you can just say it. Whatever you find is easier and more useful at that moment, go, go do it. But uh, what it what it's essentially means is that we've deconstructed the interface from menus, buttons, and things that we move around the screen, a metaphor that no longer serves us, into a conversation and that conversation is going to need to be monetized in some way so of course the very first thing is we use the old mediums oh i know how we'll take a radio commercial and and what we'll do is with this we'll paint a mustache on a most mona lisa and we'll just shoehorn it right in the middle and it'll be a commercial Mm -hmm. message and what's wrong with that brian the other people are doing it some people have got to get paid and they're just like yeah i know i know i know what you're doing you 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 you're, you're gripping on to the old media message and you're gripping on the old concepts and somehow you're shoehorning this idea of this intrusive commercial message being forced into somebody and of course elon maybe with a neural implant will be feed fed into your brain as a commercial message some people are seeing that dystopianism. And uh, we talked pre-show about that. We're going to have to do a whole show on Elon uh, and, and implants. Yeah. But anyway, so they see that as a continuity, and I call that dystopianism. And dystopianism is taking what they think is the worst of current technologies and playing it out into the worst possible circumstances. And that the, the arc of human history is anti-dystopianism. And that means not utopian and not dystopian, but a different concept. And that is pragmatic, using pieces that you need to get your life to work and to move along. And nobody buys into some grand theory. They just do piecemeal what they want to do with the technology.
0: Well, I think, you know, what's so interesting about that, like going back to the previous epoch, right? Like before the internet and commerce on the internet really took off. You had all this fear mongering and and just um, hesitation around this idea of like, well, if I put my credit card on the on the web, you know, isn't that going to get stolen? And sure, there were definitely instances where people had their identity stolen and all that. But you kind of look back at that today. And it just seems petty relative to what the bigger concerns are, which is like, if all of commerce gets done through, say, mobile or the internet, that means that I'm spending so much more time on the internet. And therefore, I'm spending so much of my attention on there. So again, going off of your point, it's like, we kind of continue to to make this mistake where we just think that these old paradigms will just translate into the new ones. And we take every, all the baggage from the old and we apply it into these new scenarios. And so I think that like, it's just the wrong way to frame things because as history continues to show us the things that we're initially worried about tend to not really be the things that are the actual things to be concerned about.
1: David, that's wisdom. And that's brilliance. Absolutely. I couldn't say better. Um, And that is the rearview mirror that we are all victimized and victim of. Self-victimization is really what it is because we fear the future when we are most of the time, unfortunately, in this epoch, we fear the future because we see that the path that we're on is untenable. We know that we can't spend much more time. I talk a whole lot about the Shannon limit of the ability for the human to take only so much information before you resort to extreme pattern matching. And if, if, if you look at society around you today and you don't see, see extreme pattern matching, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. That's exactly, precisely what's going on because of the volume of information that we're currently taking in. So we're already at that point we already see what it's done to society now some people say oh i know what i'll do i'll just make a wider pipeline into the brain so i can get more information in there and that's like saying you're not eating enough food you know what i'll do i'll bypass your mouth and your esophagus and your stomach and i'll just pump it into your higher intestines right and i'll just keep getting you more and more unprocessed food and that'll somehow make it better the Mm -hmm. problem is thats a good analogy
0: because it, yeah. it is you're right it's like we we're looking at it as, as as if it's a bandwidth issue it's like oh okay well you know therefore we need to just cram more into there and i know where you're going with this so definitely keep going with it because i i yeah. think that this you're hitting on why this is the solution which is at a certain point you reach your bandwidth and you only have a finite amount of time so go on because i know where you're going thank you david
1: um i have not met anybody in the modern in my modern connections, I have people that live on farms. I have people that, you know, run, you know, literally run horse tours. I, I spent a lot of time in Wyoming this summer. And um, they they don't have a bandwidth problem. They're some of the happiest people on the planet. Some people will say, well, they're dumb. No, these are extraordinarily smart people, extraordinarily smart. Uh, what, they, what they've been able to do is identify by virtue of being not exposed, that the world is alien around them the addictions that you and i have to data and information is is trivial to them they're like you know if it's big enough i'll hear about it i mean it's that simple if it, and, and if it isn't big enough i don't need to know about it what sure. marshall McLuhan also said is that the global village will cause us to be intimately involved in everybody else's affairs like like uh like some kind of soap opera Like we're watching a real-life reality show. And if you don't think that that's what's happening right now, again, you're not being very aware. We are in everybody else's business because we have an incredible amount of feeds coming at us. And we're seeing every aspect of humanity. Mm
0: -hmm. People
1: who are growing, people who have made mistakes and are growing past those mistakes and are growing up in front of you, all of us. That's every one of us. Uh, I am not the person I was one year ago. Neither are you and neither is anybody else who's here. We are in a process of growing. But the internet is not a communication system as much as an archival mechanism. So you and I generally communicate through an archival system. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means that the typewritten page or the QWERTY keyboard was designed to archive information and to store it. But human communication is designed by necessity to be nebulous, to be ephemeral, to exist for that moment and to move on, not because of hot takes. Some people get this wrong and they say, Twitter is great for hot takes. No, (laughs) you own those hot takes because you are hurting somebody on the other side of that hot take. And, And just because it's a meme and just because you don't get to see that person or just because people have been cruel to you, this is the way of the world. Those hot takes have, have injured countless people. And so we, we, we live in this moment of archival. So somebody has a bad day. They go on the internet and they say something wrong or they post the wrong picture or they have a meltdown. Everybody's going to have meltdowns in their life everybody is going to run through deep depression in their life. I don't care who you are. You are going to. And the fact that you deny it means that you have and you have a a problem dealing with it. So if we're real-time emoting our our ideas at the moment and others are picking up upon it and you wind up doing something that is not fashionable at that moment, but it's not really who you are because you're not one statement, uh, you're in trouble. And that's why we're in trouble as a society because we're communicating through an archival mechanism and what we, what is said will be used against you forever and you never have a trial. At least when you unfortunately cause a real crime to somebody, let's say murder, you face a trial, you face your accusers, you serve your time if it was an accident, right? And then you're done with it. But you are not done with it when you are uh, guilty in this archival mechanism that we've created. And so our bandwidth is overrun with too much information that we can't sort. So the only thing we are left with is very fast judgment of pigeonholing and, and, and pattern matching. Oh, that's what this is. Oh, that's debunked. That's news, mm-hmm. that's fake, that's bad, that's good, that's well good. it's like that's uh
0: bad. it's like how you know the vast majority of people today they just read the headline. So it's a lot of that too. Well, you and know, a headline is the like, headline
1: is designed to do what? To draw you in and to draw a response mm-hmm. and to get shares, right? But and it's always been that yeah. way. Now it's monetize, but but it's always I, been that way. I for a lot of my clients, I show them headlines over the last 150 years from newspapers. And I even show them Benjamin Franklin. I show other people that, you know, anyway, people from the past that are usually admired. Uh, and, and, they, and they look at him and they say, wow, that was a bit of puffery. And I go, of course. And I go, here's some advertisements from the 1950s. Nine out of 10 doctors prefer camels. Wow. You know, you start learning that this has always been with us. But it's never been so hyper-monetized as it is in this moment. You would either buy a newspaper, read the headlines, and then read the the subject matter and say, you know what, that isn't worth my nickel anymore. I'm going to buy the other newspaper. So you had this power. But now it's all broken up into bits and pieces. And you have algorithms and AI now within uh, things like TikTok that are feeding upon your suspicions, your fears, uh, your insecurities as a human being. Um, and it feeds into it to such a level that you've reached peak. So that's enough going down that hole. So we, we've we already established that humans can't possibly handle more information. And we, what's on the, um, the weather uh, report up ahead? Uh, a lot more information, right? And data. So I'd like to construct in your minds the idea of a pyramid Appropriately enough, for a lot of reasons. And at the very bottom of the pyramid is data. And the next level is information. Then uh, insight, or I'm sorry, knowledge. Then insight, and then wisdom. Wisdom is a placeholder for everything below that pyramid. Wisdom is what humans have been seeking since the beginning of time. And wisdom is informed by a lot of data points. I, my thesis is about eighty-seven thousand concepts are involved in what we call wisdom today. I'm probably one of the few researchers that are studying wisdom as a digital science, because it sounds so new agey and airy fairy in California. (laughs) It's not logical and data-driven, Brian. Yeah. That's where we're going because we're human beings and human beings use these devices. So the devices should not become, uh, we should not become more like the devices. Um, Maybe the devices should meet us, meet us where we are. We should not become more like machines. We should be staying like human beings, the best of human beings, and let our devices reach up to where we are, not to destroy us, but to enhance us, to amplify the greatness in us. I call that intelligence amplification. And so we started with monetization. So I'm gonna, normally this isn't weaved in when I start talking about this, so I'm gonna weave it in. The problem that we've reached within um, Amazon's devices, Apple's uh, systems, uh, Google system, is that they're using the old paradigm of software to be downloaded and executed into a device and a developer gets a piece from the, uh, the store as if this is like another paradigm for a phone. So you literally would go <clears throat> to these uh, websites and you would look at, uh, or, or their app, and you would look at the app, this voice app, and you would have to see it. And you look at the icon, well, isn't that pretty? And you would look at the textual description, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, I think I'll in, in, ev, invoke this or I will download it. And the, the very early ones, you would literally download in, in vernacular on Amazon's site. You would download the voice app. It's a ridiculous concept. And when I spoke to these folks early on, I said, you're reaching to a dead end at 100 miles an hour. And it's going to be very hard to go back. Please, please listen. And if you uh, hear one of my first interviews on this with... Um, Uh, Bradley on the voice roundtable I said monetization and discovery is going to cause a cold winter in our industry Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid that we're building an industry where a developer cannot feed himself writing voice apps and that means that we're building uh, an edifice a sandcastle that will be run over by a wave and then we're gonna to have to restart. And I
0: just wanna, I just wanna say too, because I know that like some people here that are listening, they might be developers themselves, and I don't think this is like an, um, you know, like any sort of jab at the developer community or anything like that, because it's 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 not as if that there isn't um, a demand here for the builders, and there are people that are like doing really great things with the in the confines of what they can. But I think what you're talking about is that those confines are what is broken. Exactly. The rules and the parameters are what's broken. And we're broken.
1: losing a lot of the good developers because they cannot make money. Or have their, you, we, you and I have met people who are phenomenal that are making money and, and surviving and thriving within this voice community. There's just not enough. This ecosystem at this point Should be very diverse and very active and we should be seeing new names coming in every single day Because this is the most deployed Technology the fastest most deployed technology in history and it's got the least amount of developers in it. So I'm not speaking out of class here. The system is broken. The developers are doing their jobs who's not doing their jobs are the people that are building the infrastructures of these systems because they're using a paradigm that's in the rearview mirror and that is oh application download and then they invite me and i go no everything's going to be deconstructed to work to be done so everything within a application is going to be a deconstructed endpoint and those endpoints are going to be shared by thousands and thousands of other endpoints to create what an on-demand application for you for that moment which might last forever or last for that second and then dissipate and this creates hives in the mind of data scientists because they think what I'm talking about is so out of bounds and futuristic and then I showed them I'm doing it in real time already in my garage lab and I'm just some guy I'm not Particularly good at coding. I hate a lot of my coding because it's it's just slapped together, and I'm really bad at soldering. But I threw the stuff together to be able to build, um, to build this stuff on demand. So what does on demand look like? So on demand looks like a conversation. So essentially, what happens is, if the system does not have your context. It will build a context in real time based on the direction of the conversation. And if it starts going down the wrong path, what do you do in a conversation you don't like? You change it. You change the path of the direction. But a data scientist will say, no, that will annoy somebody. I don't want to build a conversation that will they'll get it wrong. I'm, I'm being held to a Turing test. And I say, throw your Turing test out the door. We're not going to fool anybody that there's a human being on the other side of this. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to make a meaningful conversation for work to be done, jobs to be finished, jobs to be completed. And every single thing you do on a computer is a work to be done. And when you finally break it down to that, you start realizing, wow, I'm doing all the work and I don't need to. I'm manually sorting through and I'm doom scrolling or I'm happy scrolling and I'm going and I'm sorting a Google search and Google found 95 million results and it is ordering them in a way that is not really working for me. So I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling, uh, next page, next page, next ad, next ad. Oh, I don't click those blue links anymore. Uh, The whole advertising model broke three years ago. So I'm not even, anybody who's ever been in advertising already knows that the the pay-per-click advertising system is absolutely broken. Um, So I say monetize the individual work to be done, units, the deconstructions. And and now I'm giving away a little bit more than I usually in public, but that's about as much I wanna give away. Because why, this billion dollar, almost trillion dollar companies or trillion dollar companies actually at this point, listen to this stuff. And this is not my ego. They do because I see it and they say, oh, boss, I got a great idea. No longer apps. We're going to monetize individual work to be done. It's great. Steal the idea. The thing is, how long have you been thinking about it? I've been thinking about it since uh, 1979. And I, I, I've right. war-gamed it. I know exactly how to do that. I know how to accomplish it. So. Can you get a couple of kids that quit Stanford and a few uh, data scientists that worked at a a, a trillion dollar company for four years to hack something together? Yeah. But guess what? Again, this is the the Jersey kid speaking right now. Guess what? You're going to run into a lot of roadblocks just like you did with this paradigm. So do it the right way to begin with. And I'm not the only one that thinks this way. Just hire the right freaking people to begin with. Get it done. Throw the egos out the door, right? And it's built it the right way. Why? Because when a developer is unleashed inside an ecosystem that actually works, we will, we will see the promise of what I've been talking about in voice, and we'll come out of the cold winter, and we'll start entering the very early stages of spring. You'll start seeing the birds chirping, the sun coming out, and you'll start mm-hmm. saying, wow, now I get it. It's about the conversation. That's what all we've been doing since the beginning of time. So
0: that is voice commerce. I think that that's the beginnings of it. So, so I think for me, like the big aha moment that I had with this whole thing, this whole premise was that going back to the jobs to be done, you know, premise, right? This framework that was uh, Clay absolutely. Christensen, R.I.P. I do not own um, that. Clayton and, owns that. He's absolutely right. yeah. I stand. And on my it's it's a really it's you do, and it's a really good framework to think through because the whole premise is that at the end of the day you're hiring your technology to do a job and if you really kind of break down you know piece by piece of what you're doing when you're using your phone you're more or less you're hiring your phone to do some sort of job whether it be entertain me or get me from point a to point b or um you know inform me in some way
1: or connect me with other people i'm
0: alone or Exactly, and I think that what you are hitting on here, going back to this py- pyramid and the whole Claude Shannon thing about how, you know how many, um, how much information you can keep and exformation, it's like this idea where, you know, you can only contain, you can only process so much information at once, um, and if you know, we kind of are, we already addressed this at the earlier part of this conversation about like we've kind of reached this point where we're, we're literally at our breaking point we can't really get any more information we're on our phones for like seven hours a day now is the average i don't know if that's the right number but it's more than that uh, So uh,
1: uh, now in the pandemic uh, we are tied to our devices
0: oh i i imagine and and so again it goes to this idea of like do you really want to be on your phone do you want to like be under this this you know idea that you're tied to your phone for an increasing amount of time throughout your day or back into what you're doing that for. Like, why are you spending that much time? And again, it goes back to this idea that you're hiring your phone for all of these different jobs. And I think that what's so exciting about this whole premise of like a conversational assistant and intelligence amplification is this idea that you're we're hanging out at like the bottom two tiers of that pyramid. And what we need to do is we need to figure out how do we move up into these more, uh, the smaller, you know, up into wisdom and insight um, so that rather than me going and spending 30, 40 minutes on Twitter just scrolling and like, just like aimlessly the reason that I'm really there is I want maybe a few really informative things about that, um, about what's going on in all of the different areas that I'm interested in. And so maybe the better way to do that would be to actually offload that time to my assistant, have have my assistant go fetch all that insight for me. So that kind of like what you were saying, like the way that you start your days today is like you get this like briefing from all of these different assistance that you have working on your behalf. And this is the vision that I have for it is like, I want my time back. I don't want my neck down craning, like looking at my phone and just like spending endless amounts of time on there. I want to do the jobs that I'm hiring my phone to do today. I want to actually hire an assistant to do those things and give me my time back so that I'm kind of doing what I've already been doing with my phone, but much, much more efficiently. And I feel like that goes to what you're saying with this idea of kind of like the pyramid and in, in this idea that we need to get back to this idea of like these things should be working on our behalf not us constantly enthralled with like i'm trying to get to this you know result that's the way that i'm thinking about it am i kind of am i am i on to something there david you're right on and
1: uh obviously we we spent a lot of time together uh, talking about this stuff so you're you resonate with it like uh, like, like you you can build this stuff with me, you know. Hopefully, you will one day. Um, the thing is, we talked about headlines. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I don't guess at this stuff. Everything is is um, empirically based. I'm an empiricist. I'm a scientist by training. I was going to be a physicist. That was my my thing. So I can't get away from being an empiricist. And empiricism is, I need to look at it in real life and follow the path. my observations have given me so i followed hundreds and hundreds of people on what they do with their permission of course i don't do it like google (laughs) Uh, they they get the permission but there was no click here and nine thousand pages i said hey i'm going to follow you and then i'm going to i'm going to tell you what you like before you even wake up and i'm going to be accurate we're going to do an a b and A, a b study so after the i'll explain how i do this so basically Talk about the headlines first. The headlines are designed to get your attention. If I send you know I, at any given time, I have a few hundred thousand assistants no they're really agents they're not assistants. a hundred thousand agents a few hundred thousand agents circling around the internet, and they only do one thing and they dis- they disappear. Some are reoccurring, but they reappear and reconstitute, and so they go out and one stamp of information they bring it back and it's assembled as raw data we're all floating around in raw data we're drowning in it so it reads the headlines and it reads the text and what i mean by read it is already the agent is already getting a feel for the subject matter that it's looking at (coughs) it has not made any insights yet it has not drawn any um Anything other than it's subject matter. I don't want to get too more into it, but there is some AI working and it's very important to do it at that very low level. And then it's presented at a door and the door only has one little crack. And the only thing that's allowed to go in is this data. There are no programs allowed in. So the intelligence amplifier is never connected to an internet. It's incompromisable. You cannot hack it um and and people say oh i'll hack it someday you see what whatever man uh all you can put in there is data it's non executable it's actually running in three different languages simultaneously uh, at machine level you know so you're gonna have to do a whole lot to try to crack it and even if you do you only get the buffer that's it everything else is uh, so so it's highly secured it's never on the internet it's not a cloud system it can never be a cloud system because of why context and i'll get into that in a second so it gets passed under the 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 door the headline is immediately discarded i don't use headlines in the intelligence amplifier i never get a i never get a headline from alfred uh or agatha or haas it's irrelevant what happens is they wind up creating a synopsis and it's not a a gpt3 sort of i don't know what i'm saying i'm just taking words that sound good And I'm throwing it together. GPT-3 is a great trick, but there is no comprehension. There is no meaning to those words. I establish meaning. And meaning is built by what I call protocols. This is radically different from the idea of rote machine learning, where you just throw... hundred thousand pictures of birds and now you think you know what a a machine thinks Know what a bird is a human doesn't use that technology A human uses protocol technology you see three or four birds when you're a kid and you know what bird like looks like now have i created an artificial human no is that my point no am i going to fall in love with this no it's a reflection of myself and i love myself but i ain't going to fall in love with myself that's (laughs) a different story um so what it does is it knows through my context after following me for all I need is about six months and I can predict what you're going to look at with a high degree of accuracy and give you more serendipity than you've ever had in your life. Cause I, again, everybody says, Oh, Brian, you're just going to create an echo chamber. And if somebody is this, they're going to be more of that. Choose your label, whatever this is, insert your label. If they're this, then they're going to be more of that. That's not what serendipity is. Serendipity is actually giving you a taste of other things. It is like going to the international buffet and there's stuff over there that you never thought you'd try, but you go over there and you give it a try. This is what humanity needs more of. And that is called serendipity. And you do not get serendipity by doom scrolling or happy scrolling anywhere because those algorithms are not designed to give you serendipity. You don't get serendipity from Google. You may think you're getting serendipity. One of my voice assistants. I know, I was just
0: gonna say, somebody's talking to
1: Yeah, me. yeah that's one of my older ones. It's uh, using <laughs> Stephen Hawking's voice. But um, so what happens is if you don't have serendipity, then you wind up really in the echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And we delude ourselves to thinking that we have that. So I build that inner system. So anyway, we, we we get away from headlines and we get into things that we find interesting, things that we found interesting serendipitously and things that that I would call my serendipity engine. And that is informed by lots of protocols. It's hundreds and hundreds. So it's not really one protocol. It's a, it's a group of protocols. And it's modeled on what... True human joy and serendipity is based on. So all of my models are actually looking at what humans do. I don't. I don't go the back. Everybody in my view is going backwards at this, saying, "Oh, I got this machine. I'm going to make humans be more machine-like. There's going to be a singularity, and we'll merge with the machine, and we'll be emotionalless, and we'll just be I don't know tubes stuck into us." And I don't. You know, I don't know what people are thinking with this singularity, but you know, whatever. Um, uh, Good luck with that future. Uh, what I'm saying is we got, us, we got us, our, ourselves here uh, and somehow we survived um, every possible calamity the universe threw at us. I know it's not a popular happy story to be told, but we are the survivors. We are the ones that made it. Uh, and we all made it through a lot of different mechanisms. Some are not very pretty. Yeah. Every single one of us are a part of that somebody did stuff that ain't pretty a long time ago for us to be here that's a reality and i'm not that's not a that's not anything other than what it is that it is so you look at wisdom and you say what is wisdom well it's hard to capture wisdom because it's a cloud it's, it's like trying to capture water. You have to be gentle and cup your hands with it. And, and I, I make this metaphor, and I lose people on this, but follow me through on this. Wisdom is the sum total of many experiences presented to you in a way that makes sense to you at that moment. If I give you wisdom at the wrong moment in your life, it will sound like a fairy tale. If I give you wisdom at the right moment of life, you will probably be brought to tears and that's your mechanism it's called the human feedback system you know when you've reached the right wisdom when it hits you on a gut level you literally feel it in your gut and you say wow that's powerful that's what wisdom so i can tell you how to feel wisdom there's no accident in that the human is built with the perfect feedback system for when they actually see truth and when they actually see wisdom and we're we're denied access to that by being drowned in data and information. We're overrun in it. So the noise level is so high you don't get to hear those peak moments that you should be hearing, and you don't get to see through the clouds of somebody's emotions and say, you know, that's a broken individual acting out. That's that's by the way, that's wisdom in itself, is to be able to identify on the internet. Here's a broken individual acting out. Yeah, I don't need, I don't need a hot take right now. What I need is maybe compassion. compassion yeah, is hurt, and and it doesn't matter whether it's a valid hurt or invalid hurt. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, we, we should build a, um, we should build a, a monument to somebody who is feeling things that are ridiculous. And what is ridiculous? Ridiculous is you, as a human being, in retrospect, looking back and saying, "You know, that ain't no big thing. Uh, I thought it was at the time, but I now have the wisdom to know it wasn't a big thing." And if you had a if you had a grandpa or a grandma there at the right time, they'd twist your ear and say, "Hey, buddy, get over it. It's not a big thing." Part of the problem is we don't have grandma and grandpa wisdom anymore they're shut out of our lives they're being seen as being redundant and irrelevant the sum total of their knowledge which is a form of wisdom is discounted into being a, a mythological and fairy tale like no you don't get it we live in a different world pops No, it's different it's different this time every single generation said that yeah i go back I, I can I can read you Plato where they say you know the younger kids these days are are are, are just making bad decisions. Is it Plato, I get Aristotle, Socrates. Socrates was more or less killed by the, the younger students uh, indirectly in a way because they thought he he was not with it. So everybody thinks that they're the first,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the first one there. What is the what is intelligence amplification and 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 the identify identification of wisdom do well the the very first order of 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 business is it gives you your life back right uh and what what i mean by that in a typical day typically today right now it's about 22 (coughs) minutes 21 minutes i can have a conversation in the morning and it's purely a conversation about what's just happened while i was sleeping and i'm not going to get doom doom and gloom headlines i'm not going to get the stuff that is designed to get me angry. So I get onto Twitter and start writing a hot take that I'm going to be embarrassed by a year, definitely five to 10 years from now. I can promise you, most of the people who are emoting right now are going to be embarrassed with what they say 10 years from now. Because things will reveal themselves to them and they'll say, God, why was I so immature? Why? Everybody will say this. Right. Because we're all growing. We're all maturing. So, And, and when you get that, you realize that you should not be using an archival system to communicate between people because archives are designed as weapons in modern age.
0: I feel like, you know, when I, when I really think about like this system in place, so you wake up, you know, you get a synopsis of like, here's what's going on in the news. And then again, going back to this jobs to be done scenario where it's like, all right, then it gives you a, a breakdown of your calendar, you know, like here's the different meetings that you have and you start driving and it might even navigate you. And
1: this is what, this is what David Kemp said today. Um, Here, here, here's, here's a picture. If you want uh, a chart that he presented. Um, Can you explain the chart, Alfred? Yeah. It looks like a pie chart that's related to the growth of voice devices, you know, so I might not even need to see the chart because I now have some AI that can discern, Basically, it reads the text. It looks at the height of the line. This is a bar graph. This is a line graph, uh, and this is a pie chart. If it's an or tag chart, it ain't going to even try. It'll you know see it as a picture, but well, it, it, it'll it'll give me a synopsis. Now, now look at that. Yeah. Let's break that down real quick. So you post something that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. How long would it have gotten to me if I use the standard mechanisms? It might have taken me twenty minutes, five minutes. I already have it in 32 <coughs> seconds in because 12 your, seconds, agents I have, your, your agents have your ways to
0: have that context built in. This is, this is the really profound point here is that when you have these contextual things, and this is what you meant when you said it can't go up into the cloud because like you can never have the level of context that you're implying here. Um, with having all of the security concerns alleviated. So being able to have that level of contextual understanding to where your agents that you've referred to here can work on your behalf to surface that information that it already knows because day after day, this is how I usually use Twitter. I go in and it's like, there's a behavior that I'm using here or it goes for any of these different social apps or any of the different things that I'm using my phone for. There's behaviors that I'm demonstrating that these things can learn from. And then once they've learned from me, then they can go and they can do it on my behalf. And that's what's so intriguing about this idea in my opinion is that again, it goes back to what you just said. Does that take me five minutes on my own? Does that take me 20 minutes on my own? What if I could do this in five seconds or 10 seconds, however long it takes to just say, look, this, you know, David said this today, you might be interested in it. And it gives you the option to like go and dig deeper into it. And I apply yeah, that across it's always the there. board of like, you know, it's like when you talk about the advertising model, is it really advertising? If it knows something that I might want based on things that it's learned about me? Exactly, you
1: know? exactly. So now what happens is we start looking at monetization. Yeah. And so monetization has, I'm only going to talk about, about two. There's about seventy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I debate myself. Let's call about seventy-five monetizations. So about seventy-five monetizations, right? But I'll talk about two. One monetization is uh, renting out your context.
0: Yes, so that's what I was thinking context context in my head. Is, is yours? Like- you
1: own your context. You own your context, and you say, "I will give, I will give Tesla my context about this subject." And they will pay me, because I'm the I, I I'm I'm now the Google. I've dismediated Google. This is scary. Now you know why people get mad at me. Yeah, I've just dismediated Google. But that's what we do. Am got dismediated by Steve and Steve, right? Uh, Map makers got dismediated by Google, right? Uh, hotel owners got dismediated by uh, uh, Airbnb. AirBnb. Yeah, taxis by Uber. Yeah. Right. So now. How does this demonetize them? So I, I now negotiate with, with, quote unquote, advertisers directly. Mm-hmm. They buy my contacts. They say, David, I'm going to buy your contacts for a year. Here's $750. Here's yeah. And, all, and I get, I get everything. Or, or if you really want to be safe, I'm going to buy your contacts for the last year. Here's seventy five, seven
0: $750. So that would right? spur the expert economy.
1: Now you see where this is going. So, so that's one element. And that, that is what I call the ultimate self-empowerment. Because mm-hmm. you are in full control of your data. There is no mediator. It's dismediated. And the people who want your information about how you feel about beverages or anything pretty much <clears throat> buy into you. And then they get to judge the value that you represent to them in whatever open market they decide. But at the end of the day, you own your data. Now, that's one aspect.
0: The other aspect Before you go into the second one, hold on. Can we just flesh this out a little bit? Because this is so fascinating. Because we're already kind of doing this, right? Like you're seeing now this new, people are referring to it as like the passion economy. Or so if you're a really good teacher, it's like, previously you had been limited to you were just an excel like you were an amazing teacher in your confines and then now in this passion economy maybe you can teach online and you can make a whole lot more money and you can you can really monetize your expertise and yes and what you're saying here is that like take that another step where you basically if you're an expert teacher and what we're saying what you're describing here this idea of selling your context if i'm a student you wouldn't even have to be present. I could be talking to you in theory because the context exists. So that a semblance of me would be guiding you through whatever I'm an expert in that you're hiring me for. That, exactly. And see, that's so dramatically right. profound here. Let me help you with this, David.
1: I won't put you in a spot, but name what you feel is a favorite author of yours that you would love
0: to see more work from. Um, George R. R. Martin. Um, actually, <laughs> all right,
1: all right. Name a book.
0: Game of Thrones, like all the Game of Thrones books, but that's fiction. Okay. But-
1: now, 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 now. Let me let me go go this route. What if what if Mr. Martin said to you, "I can sell you my entire stream of consciousness, my work product that led me to writing that book, mm-hmm. all the things I touched." All the Google searches, all the books I've read, every, every score, soundtrack, movie that informed it. So you can see what took place in building the recipe that became the final product called the book. What happens is you start realizing that you can share this journey with people yes. with permission and, 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 and very edited. I mean, you're not... But... Movie. Uh, it could be. It could be have video, but it doesn't have to. What you're essentially doing is you're sharing that. Now, suppose you can buy that,
0: mm-hmm. and it can
1: be part of your intelligence amplifier. And those paradigms that help that author, or you know Wayne Dyer, or or somebody fame, you know, so, you know uh, somebody some self-help guru can sell you some of their ideas. Uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. sells you how he overcome obstacles, and it's informing the paradigms that you use in your intelligence amplifier. So throughout the day, you don't have Gary whispering, you're like, go do it, buddy. Yeah. It's not that. It's you start seeing the world through the eyes of that filter that you are a possibility engine, not an impossibility engine, that you see possibilities where others see impossibilities. And again, and I think that- And you all of a sudden are now amplifiers.
0: And 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 again, the, the, the thing here that I think is really worth pointing out is that on the surface, like when I think that you you have a tendency to, um, you know, your ideas are, they, they seem on the surface like they're like, wow, that's so out there, that's so far-fetched and futuristic. But when you really kind of start to think through what you're talking about here, it's not that much different than what we're already doing today because in many exactly. ways- you're already, if you're a huge Gary Vaynerchuk fan, for example, and you wanna kinda like model or you're David Perel fan, you know, like whoever you look at on the internet as a model for your own behavior of how you want to sort of mold yourself in the way that you behave either online or just like through your craft, you wanna model it after these people, you go, you read all their information, you watch all their videos, you're already sort of emulating them in some capacity. And so to take it a step further like you're suggesting here where you're saying like you would actually be able to have this contextually aware agent that represents that type of person i just like it's not as big of a leap as i think it initially seems i i'm glad you said that david because i mean i, I I'm, I'm in a
1: forest i live this stuff every day mm. I, I i'm also using it so i've i've already i mean i've been using this for pretty much a decade and a half, uh, the more advanced version, probably the last five years. And, and I already use those paradigms. I already have mentors, and they've already been incorporated into the intelligence amplifier. So how do I do that? Well, I can see the world through the eyes of some mentors by looking at their Twitter feed from zero to uh, 10 billion, everything they ever written. I have already uh, consumed in the intelligence amplifier. So it it draws conclusions on their worldview. So I don't even need to necessarily read a book about how they see the world. I could see the world through the lens of their social media. Now, is that accurate? Is that who the person is? No, Mm. not at all. If you've met anybody, you know that they're human beings and they have other views. Uh, But you do get a lens. And I can do this on Facebook, I can do it on uh, Instagram, I can do it on LinkedIn, I can do it on any, anything that, that trans uh, transpires a signal. I do it on personal blogs quite a bit. On long form it is a lot easier actually, when somebody is blogging and they're doing long form, I can get a better feel for the paradigms that they utilize. And the interesting thing is you start realizing that you can amalgamate these things for your own betterment and you can actually in a perfect world you can actually approach these people and say hey i would love to hear how you wrote uh you know let's go back in time i'd love to hear how you wrote the theory of relativity mr einstein mm-hmm. oh that i was riding a bike a bicycle in italy what and then i was playing a violin huh See, a lot of people say, like, you know, why did you get into writing Quora? And, and how does this have to do with the intelligence amplifier? Is what I've done is I've followed people and I dove deep in their history before the intelligence amplifier ever did. And I started realizing by diving deep into a subject, you can get contextual awareness yeah. of not only the subject, but the people that invented it. And, and you almost become one with that person through history, you say, wow, I didn't realize that this guy created the very first recording and he almost, well, he died alone in an unmarked grave. My gosh, we could still hear his voice and you know, and and you feel this passion of another human being. Doesn't that sound vastly different than where we are today, speaking through an archival mechanism, Mm -hmm. when you can actually share people's passion, And and some people say, well, you need a movie or you need video or you need audio to do that. Not necessarily. You need the essence and the sum total of that individual. So that's that's that side of the monetization. And I know it still sounds crazy and and so out there, but it's already here. I can already do it. And I'm not anything special. Anybody that really wants to study tech the way I do and again i i I don't profess to study tech that is being taught in any university whatsoever i have no degrees i have no initials i'm an expert in nothing Mm -hmm. this is just the stuff that i do and i know that it works for me and anybody who's ever tried this never wanted to give it up i mean i've had a few people try this for a couple of weeks and they're saying i i i i I had to stop doing it because i it wasn't complete. It wasn't, and they, even the very incomplete form, they're saying I can't give this up because, all right. Typically, or the average person has about 70, seventy-two thousand thoughts per day on average. Um, it's debatable. Let's let's assume that number is correct. Some say it might be forty thousand. Some say it's two hundred thousand. It's according to what you want to qualify as a thought. You know, uh, digesting the the breakfast you had this morning is not a thought. That's an action performed by your brain. A very big action. It's doing a very complex calculation, by the way, and you're not aware of it. But that's not what I'm talking about. Of those thoughts, about eighty percent of them, and again, that's debatable. Let's reach eighty percent. Are exactly the same thoughts you had yesterday, right? Eighty percent. Now, a lot of people get Weird with me here because I'm now talking about the predictability of a human being. There is nothing wrong with that. We live for our predictability and our patterns. And anybody who claims that they want no pattern, no predictability, give me time with them. I will show you their pattern and predictability. Everybody has it. The awareness that you have it is your empowerment. The fact that you've convinced yourself you have no pattern and you're completely random and you do whatever is your disempowerment. So, 80% 80% of what you thought yesterday, you thought today. If I can discern what those eight, that 80% is, my job now is only to deal with that 20% of randomness that you create in any given day. Now, I've what have I done? I've cut it down to size. I've met with every major tech company in the industry, and I've given this exact talk. And this is where I start getting the gloss over by Probably 80% and 20% are pulling their hair out, saying it's that easy to understand a human. We were going about this the wrong way. We we thought we had to understand every possible G general artificial intelligence or AGI. And I go, AGI is a fallacy. And you and I know people who stand on the mountaintop in the tech world say, nothing is ever gonna come of this until we have general artificial intelligence. Ha ha ha. You know. And yep. and I feel sorry for them because they're limited by their misunderstanding, partly because they've never built a damn thing in their life. Well, <laughs> that's part of it. And so all they are is a critic and an arm, champ, arm, arm charity bunker. But some of it is also their protection of the old guard. What you're seeing when you're seeing technologists tell you that that's going to be 20 to 50 years away, it's it's always going to be at the distance because it requires this, it doesn't. So now we're dealing with 20% of your thoughts. Now – if i've watched you over the last six months everything you've ever done in your electronic devices i'm telling you it doesn't need six months but i i I do that so i look like a genius it really takes about four weeks (laughs) I'm, i'm telling you my secret. all right so in six months i can tell you what you're going to do and then i can present it to you and your day's done i can literally present your entire day now obviously things happen throughout the day. Yes, of course. But they're going to be minor interruptions. They're not going to be headlines that you have to doom scroll into and get to that last paragraph. Oh, just kidding. Or no, it's really this. Or oh uh somebody on on sc- snoops just snooped it out. Yeah, snoops. Uh, you know. You start having your own discernment. And then all of a sudden, you want to know what you think of experts. You don't think of experts because you realize that experts are, in fact, fallible. Why? Because once you have an intelligence amplifier, you'll realize just how wrong experts, experts have got it over the decades. Now, that says to a lot of people, oh, my gosh, he's talking about breaking the system down. He's talking about chaos. He must be one of these uh, anarchists. No, I'm talking to you about how humanity got here. Humanity got here because the experts in the village said, don't go over that hill, monsters will eat you. I know that because we've done research on this. I've sat here in this armchair, and we've estimated that the earth is flat, and at the end of the earth, there's monsters that will eat you. Don't go over that hill. And you you and me, David, said, you know, let's go over that hill, man. And 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 maybe a few of us died because we <laughs> fell down the hill because we were stupid, but a few of us got over there and we we, we went back and said, hey, let's take uh, let's take our significant other with us, and we started to go to new places. They're still saying it. Oh yeah, you, you you can't go into space. Oh, you can't fly. Oh, you know, aeronautical engineers were absolutely certain that the Wright brothers could not fly. Right. Um, engineers would tell you that a metal a ship made of steel would never float. Why? Put some steel on the water. It can't float because they didn't understand the science behind it because they, they use scientific principles in their favor. This is the debunker. Mm -hmm. And I I pretty much throw anybody in that category who calls himself a debunker. I think it should be the most shameful term in human history because it's held us back more than anything because it stops, people from inventing it stops people from exploring it it stops people from transmitting ideas out of the most powerful form uh that has ever controlled human beings and that's called humiliation the debunker exists to humiliate others and that's why we live in this society our society is built with armchair debunkers say don't go over there don't do that because i can't do it because i didn't do it because I don't know how to do it. Therefore, I'm going to show you my credentials and debunk it as not being possible. And if we listen to those people, you and I wouldn't be on Zoom right now. <laughs> because it would all be impossible. So, so, so that's that's and that's my that's my problem with with it is once you get the power yeah. of an intelligence amplifier, you now see experts for what they are, human beings, who are giving their best estimate about what they see and loving them for that expertise but not loving them for being this individual that's going to tell you no it can't happen true experts do not come to final conclusions they will look at something i put out videos all the time that show you that we will never know what reality is anymore we will have artificial intelligence change voices and video so that anybody can do anything so now you're going to believe experts oh we'll 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 find another no what you need to start believing is in yourself and your discernment so what intelligence amplification does is it teaches you to be on an everlasting path of education you are forever a student and you're forever sharpening your skills of discernment and you are always in possibility thinking and what i mean by that is is you're not gullible That is the tool of the debunker is to keep you embarrassed that you looked gullible. You believed it. You believe that was real. I've just embarrassed you. You're gullible. I'm a debunker. You lose. Do you see how that game is played? That Mm -hmm. game has been played. It's not, not new. That game has been played since the beginning of time. It was, it was played just before the dark ages. Part of the reason the Dark Ages happened when you studied his history is we had way too many experts that told people that things couldn't get done. Mm-hmm. And then we forgot the knowledge. And then we lost the people who had the wherewithal to build these things. And we had to rediscover what was the Enlightenment? It was the de- rediscovering of Greek history a thousand years later. It was the few people that could have gotten killed in a public square, stoned, by holding on to illegal information that insulted people It insulted them that there were scientists in the, in the uh, Greek cultures, right. And insulted some people uh, so badly that you would be called a heretic, a charlatan, and you would be stoned. So when I hear people say that's impossible, I'm always going to laugh a little yeah. bit. But I'm also going to say, I, I, I can't wait for this person to grow because we're all, always going to grow. I don't look down on anybody. It, it's, it's you only know what you know when you know it. So right. part of what I'm talking about is technology now getting in its proper place. Uh, what's yeah. the proper, proper place? It feels Technology like
0: serving at- humans. It feels like, yeah, like it feels like we're kind of at this crossroads and it's like, are we going to take this route where it is like, you know, it's like the TikTok route, not to pick on TikTok, but like, I feel like that's just the next wave of like these ever consuming attention driven, you know, apps and this idea where um while there's some upside, I think to some of the things that those represent, ultimately, I feel like we're at a point where we have to decide like what what exactly are we trying to get out of our technology? Is it supposed to be something that more or less is actually uh, kind of more like it it empowers you and it and it kind of like frees you in a way. and it's that's so counterintuitive because we've all been so conditioned to like this this march toward more and more usage, you know, going back to, More Mm -hmm. attention—the dawn of the internet to now the mobile internet—and it's just like we were talking about earlier, where it's just like more attention, more attention, more attention. And at a certain point, I feel like we need to really recognize like it doesn't have to be this way. And I think that's what you're getting at with this whole thing, where it's like, whenever we kind of get to this position where we say, "Well, this isn't how things are shaping up," and it it doesn't—you know—that's impossible, and 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 things can't be this way. I think that what you're trying to point out is that we've always said this throughout the course of history, whether it be that, you know, the earth does, you know, that, that, at the universe revolves around the earth or, um, it's flat. Yeah. It's flat. Like whatever, <laughs> sorry, one sorry. of these, <laughs> you know, it's clearly like throughout the course of history, we, we debunk these, or, you know, we move past these eras where you look back and you say like, wow, that's so what happened- that people thought what, that, but I feel yeah, like David, the same you're, thing's you're, happening.
1: You're, you're, you're right on the money here. And, and what happens is humans are always growing and, and we always look naive in the past because we were growing and learning. Uh, but if you look far back enough, we were actually a lot more smarter and intelligent than most history books would ever have you believe. Because hmm. basically history will say, I don't know what, it, what purpose it serves. It must be a religious purpose. And so the further back you go, the more the experts will just throw your hands up and say everything had a, had a religious purpose. And that was it. Yeah. And, and then, then you get done with history, you close the book and you move on. And, and this is heartbreaking to me because the more you dive into history, the more you realize that whatever they call religious and whatever they call gods were actually much more complex than that. They were actually metaphors to help you understand the world around you it was actually a form of science it was actually a form of technology to transfer uh ideas and concepts in a very simple way to people that were at that moment maybe illiterate so you were able to transmit information symbolically through mythological discussions and some of those mythologies are real when you actually really find out the truth that we will. Um, and you start recognizing that these people were trying to transfer a tremendous amount of information in a way that it would sustain through these mythologies. So let's get down to the practicalities because we got very uh, airy fairy on this, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, Oh, this is a very new agey Brian. And it's like, okay, I get it, but it's not, it, 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 it actually is going to make you address this question at some point you're going to address this question whether you like it or not uh, especially now in this covid uh epoch why am i here what am i doing and where am i going and these have been the three questions that everybody has reached out for the mythologies and philosophy which is no longer seen as a stem subject uh and and obviously religions uh, address these things and when you have a populace that does not believe these things serve any value you are now a quirk on the ocean of the social media feed and you're bopping up and down from whatever crisis to the next crisis whatever somebody said to the next thing and you're an outrage culture 24 7 you will die young i can tell you that as a sun will rotate around uh, the earth will rotate and the sun will appear to rise (laughs) you will die a young age if you live in that world so at the very least the darwinian impact of what we've created in our technology will wind up erasing the people that are using it the most far too early than they should be erased from the human family tree But at the end of the day, humanity will survive. There's a Darwinianism to this, and I know this is a little scary, it's a little edgy, but I I think it's important to understand because all technology is psychological. All technology is human because humans create it. This idea that there's there's some objective technology that is outside of human is, is the most ridiculous notion ever. The only thing we can do is create analogies to what is already existing in the world. That's it. I'm sorry to say that that does not make life suck, but we cannot create something that is not already invented in in, in nature. Why? Because nature has a few uh, 30 billion years of beta testing, getting it done. So... I'm giving some of the ways you can see the gravity. I talk about gravity mm-hmm. of ideas. The gravity of ideas are: is there is there an analog to this in nature, and how does it how did it play out? What 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 species had this attribute, and now you start saying, hold it, this sounds Asian in a sense that Asian cultures, uh, the the collective of what most people assume that is that's called maybe uh zen uh ideas and confucian confuciary type of ideas um there is this analogy to you know different species uh this is what the cricket does and this is what the mouse does and this is what the dragon does these are metaphors in, in a sense, to technologies, ideas of how to see the world and how to express back to you. Now, again, that does, I, I solder transistors together when I was a kid. I put integrated circuits together and ARM chips and, 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 and Raspberry Pis together. And, and a lot of people are like, how do those things connect? Because the end product, the work to be done is precisely these things. So we're, we 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 make the full circle. So now we have something topical we can kind of talk about, and we'll cover this kind of quickly because I think it's important. Is I can drive up. This is going to sound very pedestrian now. I can drive up to an Exxon and say, you know, pay for my gas. Yeah. To uh, I, I won't say the name because I got too many in this room right now. Yeah. Um, so when I when I when I say her name, I can pay for my gas, and people like saying, oh, what's the point? Well, there's a couple of points. Number one, I challenge anybody uh, to really do a real world test because I've done these tests about seven years ago, uh, way before this was out. But obviously, I've been working my own systems. Try this test. Drive your car and go to a gas station and be honest. Where's your phone? Is it in your pocket? No. No. Uh, is it sitting kind of hanging out perhaps 12%? The remainder has some kind of mounting device for their for their phone, okay? A majority, let's call a majority. We can equivocate on how many. And it, it, is the phone plugged in? Uh, very likely, a majority will have it plugged in. So you drive up into a gas station and you want to use Apple Pay. Ah, Apple Pay's got to be just as fast. Well, let's start the timer. You pull up, Alexa, pay for gas, pump seven. Now try it. All right, Alexa, I had to do it. Alexa, stop. Okay, so now try that with Apple Pay. Now, you know my past. I, I, I made Payfinders. I was predicting Apple Pay six and a half years before it came out. I informed the Apple Pay team in private meetings before they released it, what it would look like, you know? So yeah, I, I love Apple Pay, but try it with Apple Pay. Unmount the phone. How do you do that? You have to disconnect the power cord. Okay. You have to take it off from the seat and then you have to open your door and carry the phone to the pump, hold it over the pumps uh, device area. Hopefully it reads the first time. And then what do you have to do? Go through the menus there are going to be menus on that screen there are no menus on the Alexa screen you just press the button and you dump the gas so when you compare the phone experience with the voice experience on Apple pay there is no comparison if you can compare the wallet experience pulling it out of your wallet it actually in some cases could be slightly faster now where does it change the watch experience if you're if you're holding on your arm an Apple Watch and you go up there, you're gonna be equivalent to what it would have been with Alexa, mm-hmm. but you're still touching a screen. You still, even with the watch experience, you're touching a screen. Now why is that? Because Apple's a brilliant company. But Apple does not listen did not listen to payment experts when they built Apple Pay to some degree. I get a little arrogant again. Here's the jersey coming out. If they <laughs> listen to folks like me, that's why I built payfinders. It was the largest Apple Pay map on the planet. My, my idea was to have Apple partner with a lot more businesses so that the experience would be even more seamless. Why does Exxon work so well with, with the Amazon experience? Because the payment system is Amazon, Bay, Amazon Pay. And Amazon Pay cut a deal with Fiserv or First Data to make sure that the back end integration to their POS system was flawless, mm-hmm. so that when you make that command in your car, you at some point the pumps just going to pull up and fill up your vehicle, whether it's an electric car or whether it's a gas car. I mean, literally, there, we can see the, yeah. the the format that's developing here. This is voice the, the very early versions of voice commerce. Mm-hmm. There are other versions, Alexa reorder, you know paper towels. I mean, that's clearly being spoken every quarter of a second across this country.
0: Well, and I think with, you've made this point before, but there's a reason why a merchant is ushering this in. Amazon, yes. you know, they're the, they understand this stuff so inherently that it's no surprise to me that, that the leader of the whole voice space is Amazon. Given yeah, because merchant background.
1: David, you're absolutely right. It, uh, Jeff Bezos sees this through the lens of a merchant. And a lot of people say, see, he just wants to monetize my data and sell me something. Perhaps that's not really why. Right. The real reason why is a merchant must understand jobs to be done mm-hmm. in a level that is less esoteric than maybe Apple or Google. Google's problem. I mean, Google has brilliant people. But Google's biggest problem was their hiring practices made it impossible to have a diversity of thought within the company. Uh, And what I mean by that is, is the Google test. And a lot of people say, oh, Brian, that's old. It's gone. No, it isn't. (laughs) There are different Google tests now. And the HR systems are designed to make sure certain types of thinking doesn't get through the door. And this is is confirmation thinking every large corporation in the world in history does this and Google's no different tech companies are no different Apple's doing the same thing to a, a uh, to a lesser degree in some cases a greater degree uh, Amazon does this also and it's one of the reasons why uh, parts of Alexa is at- atrophied already um, but also it's being driven by this 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 almost crisis kind of, atmosphere, which burns people out that we must constantly, constantly uh, minute by minute. See, a tech company is not minute by minute. It's quarterly by quarterly, year by year, product by product. But Amazon, it's sale by sale. Right. I mean, it's like, oh, are we doing? Are we doing? So it's a different data analogy. It's a different thought process. And, and, and Jeff Bezos just thinks about the world in a much longer term. Mm-hmm. And he's able to execute on a 10 year plan. Well, some tech companies are executing on a two- or three-year plan. Yeah. And that gets us into something else we talked pre-show, and that's uh, their satellite network and their local network.
0: Yeah, let's – Let's, let's, why don't don't you give the preamble on this? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how do you see it? And then I'll inform it.
0: This is such a marathon of a, of a conversation here. I, I I think I'm just going to release this as like one long episode and people want to listen to the whole thing. I'll make, make it clear that we talk about a whole lot of different things. I wasn't sure if we were going to get into this or not, but I'm totally down to do it. Um, I think that one of the most interesting pieces Brian has written is around when Amazon released the Echo Frames, the Echo Buds, and the uh, Amazon Ring—I don't re- really remember what that's called—he, um, there, you know, during that uh, that show where they were releasing all these different product announcements, one of the most like intriguing ones that I've seen very little press coverage about since was the Echo, uh, or was the. Echo Sidewalk or Amazon Sidewalk? It's
1: um, Amazon Sidewalk. Am- Amazon Sidewalk. Sidewalk.
0: Okay, so let's put a couple pieces together here, right? So you have this uh, one of, you know, a guy that's valued at $250 billion or something like that. So one of the world's richest people in the world who owns Blue Origin, um, you know, one of two billionaires who owns its own rocket company. So you have Musk who owns SpaceX, obviously, and then you have uh, Bezos who owns blue origin um and then you have this project kuiper which uh july 31st i believe it was um they got uh what was it faa clearance or no fcc um one of the different yeah fcc so uh they got the green light to launch something in the order of like 3500 satellites up into space okay so so you have, and then just recently you had Amazon introduce its Amazon Halo wrist-worn wearable. Okay, so Amazon releases four different wearables. Um, they introduce, uh, or they've you know released the plans for Project Kuiper. They have again a company's led by a billionaire rocket, you know rocketist, I guess you call it. Um, so Brian put these kind of put these pieces together in his Quora piece. And this is so fascinating, again, to think about it, which is like, we kind of tend to, I think it's stuck in our current thinking of terms of like, well, how will Amazon ever succeed without a phone? Well, you know, when you have satellites and body-worn computers and like a mesh network that can be created kind of using the two let's just talk about this. Like, I think this is so fascinating, all these different pieces. And this is what I always find with Amazon. Like they are the king of parlaying one thing into the next. Like you see them come out with something, honestly, like you could go back as far as Amazon as the Amazon store, which was basically first customer for AWS. So Amazon dog fooded AWS to being this gigantic thing. One of my favorite pieces that I've ever uh, read uh, was Ben Thompson's, um, the Amazon tax. And he talks a lot about this idea of like, Amazon more or less creates primitives, which will then be used to allow like these totally, they just kind of like allow these things to foster and then they get out of the way and they take a cut. Like the, you know, the whole Amazon store, if you're a merchant, you pay 15% of any sale in order to sell something on there. They take a cut, right? That's the Amazon tax. They take a tax if you want to use their cloud computing, AWS, just like we were talking about with the whole, um, you know, uh, paying at the pump using Alexa, using Amazon pay, you know, like, these are ways in which they're getting to use all their additional services. I've never seen a company do what they do in terms of they take one piece of the company in order to get you to use the other piece of the company. And so now what we're seeing is they have all these sort of like disjointed pieces, whether it be Alexa or it be its wearables or it be this Project Kuiper, these satellites, they have more building blocks, more primitives that they're establishing. And it just certainly seems like across the next decade, we're going to start to see these things all be put together in some really interesting ways. And I really do think that this whole idea of like this Amazon sidewalk, when you look at what they described at this press release in light of Project Kuiper and now with like the additional wearables that they've released since, it sure seems like there is actually a path forward here without having to have a mobile phone.
1: David, uh, wonderful insights again. And I think you, uh, you're you really grasping what is taking place. And yes, the AWS model in the idea of primitives are executing flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And when you see these pieces laid out, and as an entrepreneur, you can, you know, I, I tell people the opportunities when you see the future as a venture capitalist or, you know, my clients, I give this data to them always, usually a decade ahead of time and he had the opportunity to to take advantage of it anybody listening right now if you see what's going on here and you just give it some thought you have the opportunity of a lifetime to live in this new ecosystem the the phone is going to be deconstructed Mm -hmm. like everything does and it will disappear. Like all technologies wind up disappearing. And I don't mean it's going to go away and you won't have a phone with a screen. What I mean is primarily you'll be using it less and less. And, and you'll be using apps less and less. We're already in that world. We've, we're well past peak app. Most people will not download an app in 2020. And what I mean by most people is a vast majority. And, and, and what I ask anybody to do is get out of your tech bubble. If you're a technologist and just ask common folk, you, did you download an app? Nope. Are you going to download one this year? Nope. Can I look at your phone? Sure. Do you know what this app is? No. You'll see there's like <laughs> six apps that they use. Yeah. Six. So we're, we're well past that. And, the, the, and what that means is the developer economy, it, obviously, it's going to keep growing money-wise, but it's shrinking in a sense that it's reached its peak. The gold rush is gone in that uh, space. So no, it's no longer a battle uh, of the pocket. It's battle for utility. What is the job that's going to get done, right? And so with the Exxon capability uh, and Amazon Pay, we see brilliance because we see a modality that allows somebody to execute a job to get done, paying for fuel in a physical space that's well outside what anybody would have thought is Amazon's wheelhouse. Think about that. Amazon. What is Amazon? It's just morphing into something more and more. This is an extension. It's a new manifestation that almost nobody in the press got. It's just like they didn't see Alexa when it was released. They saw the failure of the Fire Phone because it was the same day. Everybody was staring at the Fire Phone. I go, yeah, it's probably not going to do anything. Ah, but that little cylinder is is the beginnings. What sidewalk and the satellites are going to create? is a bypassing of the entire 5G network. Don't care. Don't need it. Don't want it. You'll have higher speed connectivity. And by the way, Elon's doing the same thing. And we we talked about it. We're going to come back for part two, hopefully, and talk just about <laughs> Elon. We've got to talk. Uh, that's a completely different thing, but it's similar. the The idea of... And again, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an astronomer. So part of this, understand, pains me because we are destroying our ability to see from the planet out because we are literally uh, putting a lot of stuff in space. And a lot of it is going to have some downsides that we have not even predicted yet. So I don't want to go down the dark path, but that's there. No, I know that. So I'm not a utopian here. But I do not control... You know um, FCC and I don't control putting satellites in space. I can just tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to bypass wired networks and wireless networks and we're going to have a new sidewalk network. I talked about I mean it might be named something else so don't hold me to that right now they call it sidewalk but sidewalk. Obstensibly is just some hyper local mesh network and it n- connects to your standard network. Nothing to see here. It's just it's for smart devices in the smart home. Don't look at us. We're not any prob- anybody's problem. Move along. But when it the sidewalk network, which is a hyper local network connects to the satellite network, mm-hmm. you now have 100% successfully bypassed every network, you now own everything. Now, what's going to come down that network? Well, I can tell you in very simple terms AI. It's going to be like an electricity circuit wired to everybody's home in the world. That's AI. And you turn it on, you turn it off, and Amazon will take a piece. Those that are here early, I'm not saying you're going to build a company to compete against Amazon with this. I'm not suggesting that. If you've heard what I said in the beginning of this, I'm a hyper local non-network person primarily and i believe that the there is another theme that's going to happen and we're going to have a lot more powerful electronics locally and i think some people might be missing what i'm saying here i don't say that we're not going to be connected to the internet i say there's going to be more power locally and guess what jeff bezos agrees why because he's creating this sidewalk network which is a network of local networks What it means is all of the things that are surrounding us in our personal cloud and our home cloud is all going to be talking to each other in this private network of yours, which you will essentially control, which will communicate within this one frequency, which we'll call the uh, sidewalk network frequencies, right, that are licensed by the FCC. And then it will burst it out to the cloud, so to speak, up in the sky and buffer down movies, uh, media, AI, anything you want. And some people argue, Brian, no, there's not enough bandwidth. I need need fiber. No. Uh, uh, Let me just tell you, there are going to be ways that you're going to start storing movies on a device that Amazon's going to unlock. Let me just tell you, in the next 10 years, every movie ever made, will be stored on a single device that you have in your home and you'll just unlock it.
0: Hmm.
1: So are you going to need more bandwidth or less? See that the problem is the people who are leading the technology G whiz that all of us watch and listen to are blindsided because they're looking in the rear view mirror. What they don't know generally when they talk about the future is Moore's law is coming at as fast, and it's going to let us have very, very, very fast computers and humongous petabytes of storage. And today, petabytes are like $300,000, uh, and so was a megabyte about 30 years ago.
0: Right. So, like you think about the way that it was like a, thinking back when I was a kid, you know, when I was logging onto the internet, aside from all the noises that it would make, like, yeah. doo, 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 doo. but it was, you know, like, I remember all the commercials at the time were all about like how slow your internet connection is. Kids today don't even realize how good they have it. Exactly. Like you, can, you can stream something in real time in 1080p and it's like nothing. And like, that was unfathomable at the time. But like, as you mentioned, It's a trajectory, like, yeah, we'll get there.
1: So I'm a proponent, uh, great, great insight, Dave. I'm a proponent of holographic crystal memory. It's going to be the least costly memory you'll ever have. Uh, It's not new. It's been worked on since the 1980s. It has the potential of giving you petabytes of data. What are petabytes? uh, Every song every video and every book ever made and maybe most of the photography uh that's in the national archives uh on on one little block, block right so now you start saying hold it i can have all of that locally what power does that give me when it's hyper local well it's there already right now you have to create a, a mechanism of how does one get paid for it as, as, a, as an artist? And how do you update and, and make new stuff? I'm not going to give away that. All I can tell you is if you're an entrepreneur and you want to talk about this, I'm open to help you. If you are a serious venture capitalist and you don't have people telling you this right now, uh, you're listening to the wrong people. Because it's not wider and wider pipelines. This, like we said, it, it pre-show, you know, maybe even during the show, Uh, we've reached the maximum amount of information that can go into our brain. We're going to reach peak bandwidth at some point too. And we're going to have so much bandwidth, we won't even know what to do with it. We'll invent new esoteric ways of using it. But at some point, it's just going to be excess and ridiculous and we'll reach sort of a peak. Then we're going to say, well, what can we do instead of 3,000 miles away, three nanometers away with that speed of having all that data that close What power do we enact at that point? Now, this sounds anti-cloud. Yeah, see, a really smart company knows how to self-disrupt. And I think Amazon is going to be one of those companies. They realize that they made their existence on the cloud, Mm -hmm. and they're going to build their existence by being hyper-local into the next decade. While everybody else is reaching for the cloud, saying, oh, this is where it is. You know, AWS, Brian, you know, Bezos is already laughing, saying, no, it's local. It's, I bought, hey, I bought stores, you know, I, I'm probably going to buy Kohl's. So get used to it. Uh, you know, I'm not what you think I am. And And so <laughs> the cloud exists in the future world. It's going to look different. We're going to use it differently. And it's about the ability to have instant access to what we call, quote, unquote, AI as 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 a force like electricity or like water as a utility. And we're not quite there yet. The beginnings of that is the echo device and 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 the google devices and Siri to some level. But that's that's like that's like a line that's like using a teletype to talk to a computer. When you have this pipeline of ai pumped into you from the from the sky anywhere on the planet Talking to not just one device, your phone, but every single device in your home Mm -hmm. that you have, quote unquote smart devices. I don't like using that term, but let's just use it here. Uh, Your toaster, your refrigerator, and you give this permission and hopefully we now will start respecting privacy more and security, but maybe we won't. But it's going to happen anyway. And it's all talking up to the satellite. You don't even need a wire. You don't even need electricity on. If the thing's battery-powered and your electricity is off, it's going to shoot it up to the sky. Mm -hmm. You start saying, well, what can we invent on that? Well, it's the same thing that took place when AWS came about. I had merchants that said, I would never, ever put my data on an AWS cloud. They're a competitor. Guess where they are right Mm now? 100% AWS. AWS. And they're doing one, wonderful, by the way. They're, 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 they yeah. are, in fact, now an Amazon uh, Marketplace merchant, and they do more sales through Amazon Marketplace than through their own website. And their own website is on I AWS. And I said, that you're going to wind up doing this. And I'm going to lose money because I give you your credit cards because that's how I knew them. But in, interestingly enough, it rose all the boats in the harbor. Their website is doing... 70 times more than when I signed them up 70 times more volume on their own website, but Mm -hmm. their business grew so much on Amazon that it is overshadowing what their website can do. So Amazon is a platform of aggregation. And so let's look at the sidewalk network and the cloud and the satellite networks that they're building. And there's a few of them. Only one is known right now. Um, and it's one of the reasons why these billionaires are shooting rockets into space. It's two reasons: satellites and space mining, and yeah. and and we can talk about that another day. But um, <laughs> anybody who doesn't get that, it's it's not yet, and ultimately maybe habitation and all that. But that's that's something different. Uh, habitation comes with the mining. There has to be a commercial interest. End of story. Uh, so what we have now is. Uh, is this aggregation of attention. That's what A- Amazon website is for shopping. That's what AWS is for web services. And that's what this hyper-local and wide network is going to be. Apple has some understanding this this uh, with ultra-wideband. Ultra-wideband seems to be... Um, like some kind of magic pill being sold in the 1800s that will cure everything because ultra wideband is actually a lot of technologies wrapped into, up of the, up into one. It's a ranging and sensing technology. Uh, it is a communication technology that's orders of magnitude more uh, uh, useful than Bluetooth. Um, yeah, so And and by the way sidewalk sidewalk network ultimately is going to use ultra wideband also so we're, we're going to be shifting away from Bluetooth, ultimately, because it's too low bandwidth. Uh, Bluetooth will try to justify itself like USB has, and it might morph into this ultra-wideband. So don't don't come back at me uh, and at me on Twitter 10 years from now saying, ha-ha, you, you said <laughs> ultra-wideband would take over, but now it's still called Bluetooth. Yeah, Bluetooth <laughs> using ultra-wideband. Yeah, all right.
0: Yeah, Bluetooth EW. Yeah. You
1: I'm talking about technologies. And what controls some of these technologies? Uh, Well, the FCC. They control the radio bandwidth, and they control uh, a lot of what's going on. And they can get to uh, sunset. If you have an old analog TV with a tube in it, try turning it on. You won't get a TV signal. They sunsetted. uh, You might on just one channel uh, on uh, UHF uh, if you're lucky. But they sunsetted those frequencies to be reappropriated. And those frequencies are going to probably be reappropriated again as new technologies approach. And ultimately, for better or for worse, and I can tell you there's going to be some worse for this, we're going to be reappropriating microwave frequencies to communicate on higher and higher bandwidth uh, beyond 5G. uh, And they are going to inform some of this also. But anyway, Amazon's bypassing a lot of the current political debate about 5G and 5G is a political debate it is not a technology debate it's primarily driven by politics um it's primarily driven by egos and uh nationalism and uh technology uh uh glorification cuz 5G is a group of technologies it's not one it's many frequencies mm-hmm. it's it's a misnomer uh, the high high band 5G is uh, is troublesome because of the number of uh, repeaters that are gonna be necessary. The low band 5G is no, no, uh, nothing different than um, a high end uh, Wi-Fi router. Uh, and 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 likewise on the bandwidth. What does this all mean for Amazon? What does it mean for voice commerce? What have tied this all together for you now? Uh, it means that we are in a shift in technology taking place right now, exacerbated by the pandemic And by the social conditions we live under at this moment and what i mean by that is we have now as a society recognized that getting yourself from one box into a movable box to go inside of another box so that you can quote unquote do work a lot of people are realizing they can do the same thing and do it in their underwear (laughs) (laughs) right uh and and get their job done and in many ways, be more efficient. Now, is that utopia? No. Some people are not doing really well because they don't have inner self-management or they need uh, a lot more motivation. And so you're going to have these things, but that's anytime there's a major change within society. So a lot of these technologies are accelerating. So imagine if we didn't have the latencies, because where I am right now, I'm using a satellite uplink. And I'm I'm using the Hughes uh, uh, old satellites. I mean, things are, you know, really almost twenty years old technology. So <laughs> I, I really can't use video where I'm at right now because there is no wired internet, and and uh, the wireless internet's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I, I do get what is called five G edge, but it doesn't necessarily work. So you get a lot of a, a lot of these. I'm living this life, and I was like, yeah, i would be interesting. It'd be very interesting to see what Starlink and and all the others. There's other stealth companies that are going to plan to put up satellites. We're going to have about 25 companies by the end of this decade that are going to have satellite technology. So this is not just uh, two folks. They're going to probably use either Elon's Elon's rockets, Russian rockets, Chinese rockets, or uh, uh, Jeff Bezos rockets primarily but and 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 again talk about the Amazon tax right think about it right Exactly. Uh, hey I'm not gonna put your rocket I'm not gonna own the the satellite but you're gonna pay me to get it up there
0: exactly no but that's it like it's these primitives right these primitives that they can then enable you to do all these cool things like so many companies today wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to get off the ground if not for AWS. Right. And so many different D to C companies probably wouldn't be able to build their brand without tapping into the Amazon marketplace to, like you said, like the account that you had that they're up 70% or 700%. Like that's, there is a ton of value in these primitives that they give you access to. They take a cut on. And so I just find this all so fascinating because, you know, at the end of the day there are going to be opportunities that present themselves uh, for entrepreneurs for the builders that are out there um and i think that you know the big companies today i just think that i personally have a hard time seeing where you know there i think that there's uh, definitely possibilities where new companies come about and they supplant them but i have a hard time seeing major companies not being sort of the enablers of this technology um, in some capacity. And so, you know, whether that be Apple or Google or Amazon or Samsung. oh, they'll be
1: here, but, but I, I think there are going to be some, some very scrappy startups. I hope so. That will give them run for the money. Uh, a lot of it is because some of these companies will refuse to adjust to the changes Uh, Mm -hmm. Apple was able to disrupt IBM because IBM was in a position not to want that future. Apple and Google are in a position not to want some of the future we talked about today. It's scary. It is really scary.
0: Like if Amazon wasn't diversified into all these other segments, I'd say Shopify is definitely a company that is coming at Amazon pretty hard. Like they're super, super innovative. And I think you can draw comparisons. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. lot of different when, companies that Google when, is very threatened in a lot of ways.
1: Absolutely. When Shopify owns their own payment platform and not uses somebody else, mm-hmm. no no disregard to the people they're using. I love them, friends. <laughs> but when they own their own payment, payment platform, because basically, in the end of the day, every company becomes a payments company. Always. Always. All right. So- Basically, you don't you don't need to be Einstein to figure this out. When Shopify becomes their own payment platform, their own financial service, their own bank, you will see a monster that is unstoppable. Yeah. And you know, if I was guiding the company uh, at this point in time, um, let's say, uh, I would say, prepare for that. Uh, you have seen nothing yet, and see, we are constantly morphing what we believe shopping is and what we believe a transaction is and and that's gonna consistently change and the things that we bought yesterday meaning in a great past looking in the rearview mirror we might not buy again in the future and the things that we're renting today we might buy tomorrow so what became what what it was a, a service in the past might become something you own and something you own today might become a service in the future if you think in monolithic linear sense that everything's mm-hmm. going to become a service and everything's going to be cloud-based and everything's going to be a subscription you're you're drinking kool-aid
0: because right.
1: it's never been that way it never will be that way uh a lot of things that we are renting right now are you you're going to wind up owning and i, I challenge anybody to start thinking through those glasses it's stuff i give my clients i'm giving you some of the uh, benefit of the knowledge that I give them and they act on uh, th- invert these things. Don't think linearly and take a few steps back. When you hear experts telling you that everything's going to look like tomorrow, like it does today, but only yeah. more so they're probably wrong.
0: I mean, I think that like, if nothing else, the people that have been listening to this whole conversation, I know that they're still here. (laughs) Yeah, they're still here. um, And I bet there are some because I know if I were listening, I would probably be listening to the end because you're really interesting from the standpoint that, you know, we tend to always have hindsight is 2020, I think like people act as if a lot of these things were like preconceived notions, like this idea that oh, of course, you know, that the internet would just evolve into this, like, pocket-sized device. No, that's not at all how we thought back before the iPhone. No. And, and this idea that, like, oh, yeah, Uber and Airbnb, these are totally normal things. At the time, you think that people thought that this idea that, like, getting in a stranger's car or staying in somebody's home was normalized, the future is not going to be the way that we think. Like, it's it never is, and it it tends to just always be different than what we think it's going to turn out to be and i think that you you offer this really unique well thought out thesis of like here's a whole lot like you're so polymathic that you're able to take all these all these insights and apply like historical references and and take all of these different examples throughout history and say look we've kind of been through a lot of these different things before and and here are examples of how uh this played out and this played out and so i just would say that like for anybody that is still listening which i can't imagine who i'm addressing here right now would be because they probably wouldn't even be tuning into this in the first place but if you're skeptical about a lot of this vision that's totally fair but I do challenge anyone to to really think through like where does this evolve to because there will be changes across the next 10 years there are so many different pieces of the puzzle that are being laid out right now that can just upheave everything and this notion just like you said throughout this whole conversation that like the past is just going to remain and that, you know, we're going to just continue to take these square pegs and keep fitting them in round holes. Like it's not going to go that way. And so I think having really imaginative people like you is it's really, really cool to be able to talk to you and and for such a long time and really kind of walk through like this grand vision of how this all could play out because what's so fascinating is that you kind of have this like first principles model approach. That's like first principles of human beings and going back to this whole idea of like attention and just meeting like these thresholds that it's like, we can't go past these things. I really do think that the pendulum is kind of going to swing back toward, we're going to have to have a restoration of our humanity and we're going to have to wrestle with this idea of like, do we really wanna live in a society where we're spending almost every single one of our waking hours staring at a screen, crouched over a little piece of glass, tapping through using these arcane methods of communication, or will we prefer something that is much more uh, you know, tethered to the way that we actually communicate as people and get back to this idea of humanity and using our technology as a means for that rather than uh, this like, you know, this like tether to the internet that is like, inescapable.
1: Wow, Dave, I, I, I yeah, you know, I think you've, you've really conceptualized and thank you for, you know, really kind words. I think you really conceptualized where we are right now. And, and, and so many different elements to this within our, our moment of time. Uh, I, I just, I just wish, I just wish we had more, um, more people thinking like us. And what I mean by us is, you know, we've we've been friends for quite a while, and I count you as a good friend. Um, You know, it's it's easy to have these conversations, and we're kind of having a public one. But normally, we can kind of even talk in a much quicker shorthand and even have a longer conversation with more density uh, reaching our Shannon limits but um, we haven't touched the surface of this we haven't talked about wisdom keeper and what that means we haven't talked about a whole lot of things Mm -hmm. so this is really a journey of discovery for people and When we start separating technology from human and human from technology, we run into what we have run into right now. And it's nobody's fault. The the computer just wasn't smart enough to understand us. It wasn't smart enough to know what we were saying or what we wanted. We now live in a world where it is, and what I mean by understand – You know, it only understands as much as the protocols allow it to understand. You're not going to train it with rote AI and say, okay, GPT-29. Now we really kind of get it because we got 5,200,000 people's emotions in here, it's still not it. You have to come with the first principles you're talking about. What is a human emotion? Why does it exist? Why does it serve us? Why is it the removal of the human emotion is a problem and not the solution? And when you start realizing that we are emotional creatures and acting in emotional ways is our strength and not our weakness, then we realize that our technology can be morphed to us yeah. And it can give us not just the power of a lever, but a power of billions of levers. Yes. We are, we are machine builders and we're tool builders. And we built the tool, the computer, but we didn't make the machine. And really think about that. The, the computer is primarily just a tool right now. You even hear people say it's a tool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A machine gets a job done. A tool tool sounds like it's more universal, and it says, well, I can do many things. No, a hammer pretty much is a tool. (laughs) It kind of does two things really good, maybe extracts nails well, (laughs) pounds on a nail really well. And and, and so the, the, the computer at this point in time is a tool that gathers data and gathers archive text. That's it. And we're manipulating text and data that data is also an image but it's still data it's binary and we're manipulating that in a way that is useful for us that's a job that needs to get done it, it may seem like a job that's not when you call it a job it's like hold it man i'm just kind of looking at good pictures whatever that's a job and when you see it through those those lenses you start saying wow i can be so empowered if my day of nine hours can be 15 minutes, then what will you do? I ask anybody listening to us as we end this to entertain the thought of what would your life be if we can give you one third of it back, right? Because most people, we have three eights. That's all we're dealt with in a day. You mm-hmm. better be sleeping eight hours. You should be working eight hours and you should have eight hours of quote unquote flex time, leisure time. Uh, it used to be television occupied five point six hours for most of the seventies, and then all of a sudden the internet came and it went from you know one hour to now. Ni- now some people are uh, quoting eleven and a half hours that some people are are spending on the internet now passively consuming video. Yes, at times, mm-hmm. but yes, that is a tremendous amount of time. What would I? What? How would you be liberated if I gave you one third? of your time at least to those eight hours back you know a lot of people say i don't know what i'll do that's your journey yeah because one way or another our society is changing robots and ai and computers are going to essentially uh assume everybody's job that you do right now and my job even everybody's to a point where we're left with one thing What defines us uniquely as humans? Uh, I would I would say it's our creative ambition, tied around human emotion, and I don't think you will ever duplicate that, because humans don't really even know where it comes from. Therefore, we won't program in a machine. Now, will we have creativity coming out of a computer? A form of creativity, but it won't be human creativity. It will be interesting. I I I do a lot of computer music that's made by my emotions, but it's made by my emotions when it's done randomly. It's not very interesting. But when it's following my emotional ups and downs throughout the day, it's incredible music. It's symphonic. Uh, We'll have music like that. We'll have stories being told to us that are tied to our emotions. Uh, So there's a a great deal ahead for artists. I'll leave one more space for people. Keep a space for the artist in you and people around you because it's the artist that shows us the future before we get there and helps us assimilate what that future might be like. The artist will play with the future in ways that are utopian and dystopian and ultimately help us normalize what the future will look like. When we devoid ourselves from the creative creativity of the artist, we are devoiding ourselves from the guides that help us understand and deal with what's coming next. And what's coming next is gonna be absolutely incredible. Technologies that are coming up, I can't even begin to explain. It will make what I've talked about today look like it's ridiculous. Uh, and, and, and so is the transformation of humanity. And unfortunately, so is turmoil.
0: Yeah. The
1: only way we get through this is start sharpening these skills that we talked about. Discernment, amplification, intelligence, and wisdom. Seek wisdom. Do not seek opinions.
0: Mm-hmm. Do
1: not seek expert advice. Build your own consensus. Take in experts' advice. Weigh their advice. Don't ask for permission. We have been, unfortunately, locked in this permission-based society that we need to have the permission of an expert to think outside the box. You don't. And that includes every subject. There is no verbatim subject. I don't care what that subject is you have some people who, who are the high priests and priestesses of a particular subject saying thou shall now cross this because you will endanger somebody's life. No, my thoughts of me thinking about a particular subject, scientific or otherwise does not endanger anybody. It's me thinking and analyzing and I have the right to do that. We need to reclaim that right. And intelligence amplification will help us do that. And so will a lot of this technology that's surrounding us. We just need to know how to use it.
0: Brilliant. I can't thank you enough for coming on sharing so much time this is great David. thank you i I appreciate all the time you gave me i i know we ran over you can uh (laughs) i don't care with what you will
1: hear i i i just hope that we we've we've covered enough that people are able to start researching this because i want you to look at it not just me
0: there's many people I know that will really appreciate this, that really admire your work and and your dedication to this. And the and the idea of seeing this thing through, you know, I think what's so cool about it is it's not as if, you know, you've shied away from any one thing, like you'll, you'll stand by all of what you've said. And, and uh, so I think there's a lot to be said for that, that, you know, you're, you're willing to, you know, stand there and be like, yeah, okay. I was wrong about this. and other aspects of it. Like, yeah, this is definitely something that I predicted six years ago. So I just, uh, I think it's just really cool that you're willing to take the time and, and go on these kind of podcasts and share all of this insight because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how the future is going to play out or anything like that, but I have to hope that we will see some sort of change in terms of the trajectory because it does it does seem unsustainable to just think that we're going to just continually become glued to these screens and and into these uh you know immersed in uh you know in in the internet and and in the non-reality um and i just think that there's so something really profound about this idea of kind of giving yourself time back and in, in using technology to enable yourself to live a more, um, you know, a more free life of a lot of the tethers that I think were unknowingly so tied to today. And so hopefully a lot of this stuff um, pans out and, and we'll be really curious to watch it go along. And it's always, you know, it's been a lot of fun. You know learning the ins and the outs of the way that you're thinking about this and and like you said like um taking your insight taking insight from a lot of other experts and creating my own wisdom from that so Lots to uh, think about and definitely we'll have to do this again. Um, one of these marathon episodes where it just almost feels like we're having a conversation. I kind of even forgot halfway through there. I was like, oh yeah, shoot, I'm doing a podcast. Like I, I kind of <laughs> forgot that we were even I, recording.
1: <laughs> I have that effect. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, you bring out the best in, uh, in everybody and uh, I, I appreciate what you do and a fan of your work and a fan of what you're going to be doing in the future. So Thanks, hopefully man. we'll be able to cover more of this. And, Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much
0: all right cool brian well until next time thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end you're the real mvp for sticking around for like a three-hour podcast so thanks to everybody thanks to brian and we will chat with you next time cheers